genre. The weekly podcast where we review and discuss every episode of Doctor Who, one doctor at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. Today on the show, we'll be discussing The Hungry Earth and Cold Blood, the 11th Doctor's seventh story. So this one is written by current showrunner Chris Chipnell. And this was his first episode back after having only written one script for uh, the Russell T. Davies era, um, which is uh, kind of actually weird, all things considered. He he wrote one episode called 42 mm-hmm. in uh, Doctor Who season three, uh, the, uh, the Martha uh, David Tennant season. And um, uh, he then like went on to write a bunch of Torchwood. Um, in fact, he was kind of like running Torchwood. Uh, which is weird. I don't know why he was given Torchwood when he had only written one Doctor Who episode, but <laughs> that's what happened. Um, so he had written a bunch of Torchwood episodes and uh, was was doing Torchwood. Torchwood. He left Torchwood uh, with season three, um, and uh, and then like the that last. Uh, weird stars season of Torchwood uh, was uh, done by, I think was done by Russell T Davies. um, If I'm not mistaken. I I think so. Yeah. Uh, So I think he took it back from Chibnall. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, so he, uh, he had sort of like left Torchwood. He felt like Dr. Who was behind him and that he was probably never going to get a chance to write for the show again. Uh, But Stephen Moffat was actually a big fan of Chibnall and uh, really liked his uh, uh, Torchwood scripts, uh, Adrift Fragments and Exit Wounds, um, and invited him to come write for uh, Series 5. But he's like, I don't, I, I know that you're a diehard Doctor Who fan, so I don't just want you to come back and write a random episode um, because you've written a bunch of stuff set in the world of Torchwood and you've never gotten to write a uh, classic villain. So I want to give you the opportunity to reinvent a classic who villain um, in the modern era. So each season up to this point, uh, the new Dr. Who had sort of um, uh, brought back a classic villain. So you had the Daleks in season one, Cybermen in season three, Two, the Master in season three, and then uh, Davros and the Centaurans in season four. And uh, so with season five, Moffat uh, wanted to uh, use the Silurians, who he felt were the next uh, logical choice to bring back. And, um, you know, they sort of talked out how they wanted to 
use the Silurians and how they wanted to to set up the design. One of the first things that uh, Stephen Moffat got rid of was the Silurians' third eye. Um, the reasoning. <laughs> The reasoning being that he felt that the third eye was uh, much more associated with Davros at this point and mm-hmm. just felt like it would – especially so close to reintroducing Davros, he felt that it would have been just sort of um, like uh, repetitive or a repetitive detail. So um, they removed the third eye and they redesigned it so that the design of the Silurians from the classic who sort of became their armor – um, for New Who, and so they kind of got to have those classic Silurian designs, but also redesign them completely, um, mm-hmm. which is a really clever way of doing it, uh, all things considered. So, um, so yeah, so he wanted to uh, redo the 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 Silurians and um, asked uh, Chris Chibnall to uh, do the thing, and it, you know, it. I I think it's largely successful. I mean, it's it's similar to um, every other time the Silurians have shown up in Doctor Who. It's it's always a similar story. We want our Earth back, but it's our Earth now. Mm-hmm. But we had it first. Um, that's kind of the theme of every Silurian episode. Um, sure. So uh, you know that's it is what it is. Um, but I think largely pretty successful, fairly successful anyway. Um, and uh, I think that um, I will say I do prefer the original title, which was the ground beneath their feet for the first part. Ooh, um, I like that one a lot. Yeah. Uh, Oh, much more than the Hungry Earth, which just is a silly title. Um, but uh, that was the original title. Also, originally there was no quicksand. Like the 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 quicksand <laughs> was actually a budgetary cut. So originally there it was these creatures that came out of the ground and dragged people underneath. Um, <laughs> that were not Silurians. They were like these giant like armadillo looking things. <gasps> and what? yeah, and I love armadillo looking uh, things. I know. <laughs> Um, so like these giant armadillo looking things would come out of the earth and like grab people and pull them underneath. And then you would find out that they were related to the Silurians at the very end of part one. I love um, that. I love that there's like a grumpy little race that lives with the Silurians that they like coerce into doing their bidding. Yeah. Well, I think they were basically like kind of, um, uh, they were meant to be like beasts, like a, oh, okay. like, like a, like a Silurian horse or something. Like a dog. You know? Yeah, a dog, a horse, whatever. Um, but yeah, so uh, so that was that's pretty much it. I mean, there's you know, I, once you start getting into these new Who stuff, there's like a lot less um, juicy details, um, as you'll hear next time when we talk about Deep Breath, where I have literally nothing for background because um, everyone but, was such a D a G damn professional. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> definitely. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're we're reintroducing the uh silurians to doctor who with this episode and i i i always had the memory that this episode that like i i was really bored by this episode and i think that there's a couple of things going on there i think that the the town stuff watching it this time like everything with the town and the sort of like ensemble in the town i'm just like oh yeah this is 
100% Chris Chibnall. This is Broadchurch. <laughs> this is uh, Series 11. This just feels so much like Chris Chibnall. It's ridiculous. But then all of the Silurian stuff, like when we go down into the Silurian, I don't know if you call it, you wouldn't call it a home world. They're a little like settlement. Sure. Um, when you're in there, like that feels like Planet of the Apes, which I was like really into this time. <laughs> So I don't yeah, know. I yeah. don't know if this worked better for you guys this time or what. I don't know if Chris Chimno just sort of indoctrinated me um, <laughs> to his to his writing or or what. But I actually quite liked this this time. Cass, what did you think? Um, I think it doesn't need to be two parts. Um, I think that's that's my like that hill I'm going to die on with this one. Like I, (laughs) I enjoy, I mean, I didn't, I didn't hate this the first time either. It was just kind of there. Um, which is honestly like the worst part, like episodes. Cause it's just like, Oh, okay. Well that was a thing of television that I watched and now I can go on with my life. Um, but I do, I do really like the Silurians. Um, and it's funny that you say Planet of the Apes because that's kind of what it is for them. They're like waking up and they're like, oh, God, the apes. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is It is very much like I'm going to focus on these normal people that are just caught up in this extraordinary situation. And also the doctors here. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was fine. I, I just think it doesn't need to be two parts. I no. wonder... I wonder, like, you know, in regards to it being two parts, like, if you were someone watching the show sitting down and you had no idea who the Silurians were or what the mythology of the Silurians were, I, I, I wonder if that would be kind of engaging or scary of, like, what are these things that are coming up from the ground? I wonder what, oh, my God, they're lizard people, you know? Mm-hmm. But if, you know, but that feels kind of like... Would a new fan be interested in the Silurians? Are we bringing the, are we bringing the Silurians back for like the yeah look they're back, you know? Right. And I really like the cliffhanger at the end. Of, I think it's a solid cliffhanger of like oh my gosh there was like a civilization down there. And so uh, I said that really weird, but I was like I, I wonder <laughs> if you could like I don't know I wonder if we had gotten there sooner if we can done had done more cool stuff. But I don't know if that's just me knowing that it's going to end with being the Silurians and I'm not engaged for a lot of that first episode. Yeah, I think that's I think part of the problem with a lot of two-parters that or or even four-parters or six-parters or god help us eight ten-parters. Um <laughs> I think a lot of the the problem with that is that, you know, they the story structure being what it is, they go into this saying like planting their flag in saying that this is the cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And then they get to the cliffhanger, but the the problem is that like there was way more interesting stuff in part two than there was in part one. And if they had just shifted the cliffhanger back, I think like having the reveal of the of the of the you know planet of the Silurians halfway through part one, and then having like the cliffhanger being something like um uh uh what's her face is going to execute them or 
uh, the mom killing her sister and mm. and you just sort of like leaving on a note of like oh no yeah <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, yeah that's true I, that'd be good I I feel like that would have been a, a better cliffhanger because it would have given you more room to play um, with the mm-hmm. story whereas uh, setting up part two with the most interesting reveal in the entirety of the two parter makes part one feel less than. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just it's very like part one is very meandering. It feels yeah. like yeah, we're just like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like okay, yeah, it's like, come on, like ga- yeah, like gathering all of the characters and like oh these two like each other. Oh that's the mm-hmm. mom. That's this little boy. Mm-hmm. That's they're they're related. Yeah. It's like whenever you watch like a Dalek episode in Classic Who and you're just like waiting for the Dalek to show up and then they don't ever show up until the like yeah. the cliffhanger of part one. And you're like, yeah. come on. Yeah. Why is yeah. it a Dalek story? Like, Why is Daddy acting so strange? Ever since he got that strange package, he's been acting so strange. Yeah. Some- uh, yeah. Go outside. <laughs> um. I uh, the uh, the uh, uh, future Amy and Rory moment, like where they're like across the field waving at them. Mm-hmm. What what what? Does what the ever, hell? Does anything happen with that, or is this okay. just some like weird thing that they put into this episode and never call back on? It's bizarre, and I don't think I think it even contradicts the show's own mythology at this point, right? Oh, yeah. oh, very, very much so. It seems to me, unless I'm forgetting a part where they make sense of that. Yeah, because you know, Amy and Rory get sent back in time to live to death. So right. I don't know how they would be anywhere in 2020. I hope we like if we could zoom across the 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 cliff or whatever it's just like another redheaded lady and another kind of like skinny dude with a beard <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i uh, but yeah i thought that was a really weird moment where it was like uh they were trying to set something up that they never eventually paid off it's like the the, the one of the things that moffat forgot about yeah. on all the things that he set up well Oops. i think that <laughs> I think that just speaks to how um, kind of freewheeling the latter uh, part of his tenure got. Or not tenure, but like with the 11th Doctor. Yeah, yeah, you know it's it's funny. It's it's remembered as this grand intricate saga, and it is it is a, an operatic season of television that I'm very fond of. But then there are these like weird moments that just stick out like sore thumbs in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also was getting. Um, Beyond just like Broadchurch and Series Eleven vibes, I was also getting like Stephen King vibes in this first episode. Oh, the oh, graveyard yeah. and stuff. Well, no, not just the horror stuff. Like just like the people and mm-hmm. like how like the worst, the 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 like the scariest thing is people. Like that's like <laughs> that's yeah. like Stephen King's like bread and butter. Is that yeah. the scariest thing or the normal people? Um, She's even and, scarier than the monsters. Right, right. And that's uh that was like it's like, oh, and Carrie. It's like Carrie's not the scary thing. It's the bullies that are scary. Mm-hmm. Um and then they make Carrie scary or the mom is scary. Uh and it's it's stuff like that. And this just just feels very much like a like a Stephen King thing, like uh like the mist or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um Do you think the doctor kind of set up Ambrose for a loss? 
Ambrose, she being like the mother who ends up electrocuting that Silurian to death out of fear. I don't know. Like She is having a hell of a day. Yeah. Yeah. This episode really heaps and heaps on her. Yeah. Yeah, it it's weird how like the the whole thing is just like like they just it, it yeah it heaps on her and then the rest of after she makes the mistake the doctor is just like ugh eye roll humans mm-hmm. stupid dumb they're right you are dumb apes like he just <laughs> he's like he just completely has no patience for her despite the fact that like she lost everybody but I guess I guess the idea is that she didn't actually lose them and that's why he's like mad at her yeah because right. it was like you did it for nothing they were fine. Um, that kind of um, because we we um, like watched uh, uh, Father's Day so so um, soon um, like before this like because yeah. Eccleston calls Rose just another stupid ape um, yeah. and like because we talked about him setting her up for failure so like I guess that's a, like a through line of the Doctor like he's constantly testing people. Yeah, testing them or just like having too much faith in them, like just just assuming that like oh yeah, like they'll be like they'll make any decision that I would make. Yeah, right. Because I love humans and and they're all inherently great. And then mm-hmm. it's like yeah, I mean they are until they're like pushed too far, and then yeah. it's like they make yeah, mistakes. He almost the way you worded it almost reminds me of like Dumbledore on how he could be a great mentor, but then also in hindsight be like, wow, you really kind of like left that that protege of yours out to dry a little bit yeah man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i do love uh I, I guess this is a 10th and 11th doctor thing but like the fact that like he takes off uh the sister's mask and sees her face and is just like blown away by how beautiful she is mm-hmm. and like just talks about it and like i just yeah. i i always liked that about those two doctors about like how they they really like aliens. Aliens, yeah. They just, <laughs> yeah. They, they like they they absolutely see the beauty in them. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're constantly finding yeah the beauty in something that would normally be considered like ugly or strange or or weird. Like yeah. admiring the beauty in it. Yeah. In general, I just really like that scene of the Eleventh Doctor and the the Sister Silurian, whose yeah. name I can't remember. Sister Silurian sounds like a really cool band. <laughs> yeah, Sister Silurian, yeah. I miss um, Eleven. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, I really like Eleven in this. I, I, yeah. I, I'm i a really big fan of, like, Diplomat Doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really does remind me of, like, a wizard in that he he doesn't want to be directly involved, but he is, like, constantly disappointed by, like, the yep. shortcomings of other races. He should have been yeah. Merlin. I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna keep hammering that home. He should have been Merlin. But I'm so he angry. He still could. It could still happen. Yeah. One yeah. day we'll get there. Be, not a, be a good um, big finish story. Um, uh, first appearance of uh, in in the Moffat era of the Doctor wearing like special sunglasses. Yeah. <laughs> I like how even he's like he 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 kind of like geeks out a little bit when he first put them on. He's like, oh, this is fun. Like it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. I like this this whole scene where the humans and the Silurians are sort of like negotiating a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like that Amy Pond is like the the show presents Amy Pond being like, well, what about the deserts where humans can't live as like this amazing idea? And like, she's so smart. And I'm like, 
I I mean, I feel like the scientist lady would have thought of that way before Amy Bond did. Yeah. Okay. You raise a very very good point, Scott. And and you also bring up something that I wanted to ask you you both as as hosts. So – I also it also rang a little false to me when the doctor was like, "Oh, thank God, Amy Pond's here, best human possible for the job." Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which companion do you think would have kicked the most ass in that room and Martha. done the most good? Boom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Martha. <laughs> in all yeah. of who? In all in every uh, the oh, whole in caboodle. all of who? Yeah. Oof. Romana. Probably. Uh... In all of who? Probably Romana? Yeah, but that's not fair. Yeah, I guess that's not fair. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> Why, is she like uh, a computer? I don't think I've met Romana yet. No, you haven't met Romana yet. Romana's the uh, best. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, K9. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> K9. Oh, man. Yes. What's, hell yeah. What of the deserts? <laughs> Put them in the deserts. <laughs> Affirmative. As far as new right. who, I think Martha for sure, because she's a literal doctor. Um Yeah. Yeah. That's probably that's probably the best choice. So Romana, Martha. Oh man. That's a hell of a team up. <laughs> oh man. Uh yeah. I can't think of another companion that would outdo Martha. I think you're probably right. It's probably Martha. Maybe Zoe, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I but Zoe comes from the future, so like she might have like weird ideas as far as that's true. Uh, how that could work? He's like, "What do you mean, Earth? You should live on a space station, right? We <laughs> like Earth right. ages ago. <laughs> this planet is boinked. We need to take to the stars as soon as possible. <laughs> You're fighting over uh, a grave. <laughs> God." Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, as far as worst companion, that's oh. definitely Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jamie didn't, Joe, Jamie never stopped screaming this whole story. Yeah, no, no. Ja- Jamie is the worst companion to have in this situation, <laughs> for sure. Just never stop screaming and swinging. Oh, I don't know I what he's fun. swinging, yeah, but he's beasties. got something. <laughs> He's got something. He's got something. It's sharp and it's on fire, and he is swinging it. Get behind me! <laughs> you leave my boy alone. <laughs> uh, Nazarene has real companion potential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Nazarene was pretty great. Yeah. So, uh, was it? Yeah. I, I was also just thinking about that with someone else. That we watched recently, that I was like, "Oh, they would have made a good companion." Are you guys hearing that rocket? Yeah, maybe I was thinking about. I think I was thinking about that kid in uh, the last episode in the uh, the idiot box episode. Oh, Um, the lots of space. Yeah, I think I was thinking about that kid and being like, "Headphones kid, headphones kid." In this was pretty cool, I guess. Mm, All right. It's okay. Um. Anyway, yeah. And then, I, well, I mean, oh. I mean, there's kind of an elephant in the room. I mean, this episode ends on a pretty big, like, I don't know, like with this being such a serialized season, this this like kind yeah. of innocuous episode has a pretty big turn mm-hmm. for the 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 season wide story, which is uh, Rory dies for I think the first time. Yes. Okay. The first time in real life because he died right. in um in Amy's mm-hmm. choice. 
Right, the previous episode. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, dude, Karen Gillan. so much. Karen Gillan is so good. Yeah. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. She's also like a she's like a she's like a baby in this episode. I know. Every I time we so... go back to this season, I was like, oh my god, she's so little. <laughs> yeah, I was so simultaneously like impressed with how much she's grown as an actress that I continue to be like, oh cool, and Karen Karen Gillan's in this, and being like, oh, she's already really good in this episode mm-hmm. as much as she's grown. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I uh Yeah, so he like saves the doctor and dies and um one thing in the behind the scenes thing that I forgot to mention was that um, Andrew Dar- Darvel, like this was the second episode that he filmed. So like <laughs> he had just filmed the 11th hour and then he filmed this and died totally. and literally was like, well, I guess that's it for me. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know that he was going to come back. Like he knew that he knew that he had like um, some episodes in between to to film that uh they were going to get to you know down the down the line in the schedule oh, but continuity wise but continuity wise he was like well I, I i i filmed my first episode and my last episode and i guess all that's left is the stuff in between that sucks yeah he had no idea that he was going to come back oh yeah what but, a brutal uh, be like i mean he must have been pretty impressed with this girl god my what a <laughs> way for my character to die yeah I uh I will say I I just <laughs> it's so funny because I know now where it goes uh where it all leads to this stupid crack thing is pretty dumb. Um <laughs> <laughs> Like it's they're just so like whoa it's so mysterious and I'm like I mean it's not really it's it's what could it mean with the most mysterious thing that's ever happened. Ugh. That that part of the Moffat era is exhausting. <laughs> For sure, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, luckily, it's only half of it, but that half of it is is it can get pretty exhausting. I think that's why a lot of people left um, was because yeah. they were just so exhausted by all of that crap. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> and then the Peter Cavaldi era starts, and they're just like, you know what? Uh, maybe just maybe just the one mystery uh, at a time, and that's it. And we're that's enough, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like all right, that's that is good. Um. Yeah. Yeah. With I don't like know. the missing, like the, the the missing chunk of the TARDIS that he finds at the end of yeah. the episode. You're like, oh no, what's what's going on? Um. Also, I love that they just reuse the uh, the set from uh, Time of Angels, Flesh and Stone in this for the oh for yeah the, like, the, oh right yeah the, yeah for like the Silurian bridge. Um, they're like in that like sort of like bridge bridgeish area, like not not an actual bridge, but like a like a spaceship bridge. Um, and they're like in that room, and I'm like, this is just this is the anti gravity room from Time of Angels, Flesh and Stone, only with like <laughs> plant stuff growing over all of the controls, but it's the same room. Um, anyway, uh, man, it's like they like for the t- it's like they save them for the two parters. Yeah, I don't know. I I just I I I thought that was I thought that was a clever way of saving money, I guess. Um For sure. I don't know how many people would really notice that uh that because they're not like <laughs> watching the show. Yeah, they're not watching the show at the level that we're watching it. Right. So I don't know that they would uh, necessarily realize that, so I I thought it was a clever way of saving a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um Good on you, Peter Bennett. I'm sad we never got to see just like the Rio episode. Uh, 
I honestly, that's one thing that I get. I I really get annoyed with watching the Moffat era this time through. It's just like how much he like wants to make jokes about like uh, women being pretty. Like <laughs> I don't know. Oh yeah, women being pretty, women being fat, women not wearing the right clothes. Yeah, yeah. But like <laughs> even, but like the women being fat thing is always like never true like it's it's like he's he's like making a joke about someone calling them fat despite the fact that they're drop dead gorgeous and not remotely fat and it's like it's weird it's like a weird thing that he does i don't understand it at all this woman is too beautiful for me i need to objectify her and make her feel bad yeah it's like he's like negging his characters i don't understand it's weird i hate it weird yeah (laughs) i'm 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 developing this super minor theory because it might sound crazy and like nothing, but like you, I I I think you can tell a lot by a writer by what a scene's base tone is like. Yeah, like how do characters enter a room talking to each other? You know, mm-hmm. like if you watch like I don't know like a Mike Shore show or compared to like an Aaron Sorkin show, an Aaron Sorkin show characters seem to enter rooms like, hey, you look at me, what are you doing? What's going on? Put that down. What you do out there? You know. And it just seems like with yeah with the Stephen Moffat scene, there always is that kind of air of negging and poking and like ribbing that's just really weird and interesting. And mm-hmm. the more the deeper we get, yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's uh, it's real sad when uh, when uh, uh, Amy forgets Rory. That's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a nice uh, plot device because it's like we all remember him and so it's like yeah it like adds to the tragedy but then it's also just sort of a rip off of what they did with Donna yeah like very recently <laughs> in the history of the show so that's I don't true know. It's like, oh it's yeah it is sad to forget um anyway um all right. I don't know what else do we got. I I just I I liked all of this. I liked the the scientist guy. I like him like doing experiments on the humans. I thought that was very Planet of the Apes. That was uh, probably oh, yeah. when it felt the most Planet of oh, the Apes yeah. was when that was happening. Yeah, because uh, the hum- well, like one of the humans like suggested it. Yeah, to you know, like hey, we're, like we should be dissecting this thing, and the doctor's like, don't be no, we have to be better than that. Right, and he's like, I'm going to dissect you. <laughs> Yeah. Knowing uh, knowing what happens to Amy's um bodily autonomy over the course of of this era of the show, that scene where she's strapped to the table makes me so uncomfortable. Mm. Oh wow. Uh yeah. What's up with that, Moffat? Yeah. <laughs> but gosh, yeah, I, I just remembered so much mm-hmm. at once. I I feel like I I I feel like Moffat and I, I think this is generally an issue with uh, male privilege, um, is that uh, he's probably not thinking about – he's not seeing the forest. He's just focusing on the trees. Yeah. Like I, sure. and, that, and that's the problem. And he's not realizing that like he's making a lot of the same trees and that yeah. that's part of the problem. He's making a bad forest. <laughs> do, you see um, the, do, you see, or like, do you see that thing that was going around where it's like – three characters that define like someone's like fetish you can tell someone has a fetish and then someone put like the four moffat characters that have like the same like school teacher with an eye patch yeah <laughs> yeah because it was like it was like uh it was it was lady with the it was eye patch lady it was 
uh, Missy. Missy. Mm. It was uh, Sherlock's girlfriend. What was her name? Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Uh, the not one Ir- that- Irene Adler. Yes. Yeah, Irene yeah. Adler. Yeah, I was gonna say the one Rachel, not the not Rachel McAdams. Not- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Irene Adler, and then what was the what was the fourth one? I don't remember it, what the fourth one was. The fourth one should have been uh, Lady Vastra, just just for giggles. But sure, because <laughs> she's even though she's a lizard lady, she's definitely that same energy. Um, yeah, yeah, very much the same energy, one hundred percent. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have like the the Clara, the Rose, uh, Vastra's girlfriend, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the like the young Peppy Ingenue right. that like always has a quip. Yep. Very true. Like just very, like very clever. Very clever. clever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the and then the strict teacher. It's always like, oh, you. <laughs> you. <laughs> oh man. That's why I don't want Moffat to write thirteen. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, who wants that? I don't want that. No, exactly. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, no, that wouldn't that wouldn't work. Anyway, <laughs> I mean it's bit. I, well, I, don't know. <laughs> it's, I don't know. Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he did grow. Like you know, we. I think I, I really enjoyed the end of his run. Uh, no, but I was then, just gonna say it's barely working with Chris Chibnall. So let's not oh, throw stones. Sure. Yeah. Let's let's <laughs> let, let's let's finish baking the first cake before we start thinking about like, hey, let's make another cake. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, all right. Uh, uh, Chib. Yeah. Chibs. And uh, <laughs> very excited because we'll be covering Deep Breath, and I haven't seen it since it came out. Mm-hmm. Woo! Deep Breath next time. Starting off the Capaldi stuff. Mm-hmm.